this week we welcome Julie McDo, a.k.a. Juki, to the show. Originally born and raised in Quebec and now living in Toronto, Juki is currently the National Brand Development Manager for Tequila Tromba. She has an incredible outgoing personality. We have a great conversation with Juki. We talk about growing up in a restauranter family and how that played an impact in her life, learning how to speak English after she moved to Australia, how not passing her court of master sommelier certification was the best thing to happen to her, and how she got the nickname Juki. Now, we did have some issues with our audio recording around the 10-minute mark of the episode, so I want to apologize about that. That lasts for about 10, 12 minutes or so before it clears up and the audio returns back to normal. In the meantime, enjoy this episode with Juki, the tequila fairy for Tromba, Canada. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. This is Dan. That's Dan, me, man. What's uh, shaking? Not much. Uh, doing well. Uh, yeah, no complaints. The weather's great. Yeah. The case numbers are kind of going down, except for where we live. <laughs> yeah, the Sugar Run patio is officially open as of last weekend. We're recording this on, I don't know, what the fuck's the date? Uh, Monday, number? June 21st. Uh, June 21st. So it was open this last weekend, and it was we actually served people at my bar. Which yeah, is, uh, nice. Odd, odd thing to say these days. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, uh, that was exciting. And, uh, you know, I'm still coming off the hangover from our last recording session. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that hurt for a few days. Where, we, where you actually interviewed me, which was an interesting twist. So yes. if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that in our archives. Also, you should check out the two-parter with Aubrey Slater. Before that, we had the badass bartender. Correct. And previous to that, I think Sarah Parniak. That sounds uh, about I right. I feel like I've probably missed someone in there, but you scroll through our archives and figure it out. You should listen yeah. to all of them. Angela Ayayo, Alyssa Dunn, Alexis Tinoco, Sarah Parniak, Sean Sewell, and Talita Cacho prior to that. So. Okay. Well, today night, of course, we also have an amazing guest. Julie Mekto, a.k.a. Juki, will be joining us very shortly. But let's get some uh, housekeeping out of the way first. If you like the show and you want to support us, the best way is to subscribe, rate, and review. It's very easy to do. costs you nothing takes almost no time, but helps us tremendously. Correct. If you want to be a guest on the show, DM us at the Industry Podcast on Instagram, and uh, we'll tell your story here. Also, as always, a big shout out to Zach Hanna at Zach Hanna Design for his amazing artwork that he does for us. And I should also make a mention that uh, two of our favorite friends of the show and guests, previous guests on the show, are now working together. Our friends Aaron Hatchell has moved on to work with my... Uh, partner in crime, Jill Sadler, at Swine and Vine. So big news for them. That's exciting for them. That's right. And their new location should be opening in Uptown in the coming weeks. That's right. Big news for all of them. So shout out to two of our favorite people, Jill and Aaron, and congratulations on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's, without further ado, we're going to bring in Juki Mekto, who is the, what do you call yourself, the ambassador for Tromba Tequila? Tequila Fairy. Yeah. Tequila Fairy. I'm sorry. My bad. Brand Ambassador. Uh, my official title is uh, National Brand Development Manager. Oh, see, I wasn't even close. This is, I, kind of, this is the kind of crackerjack research you get on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, Tequila Fairy, Juki, thanks so much for joining us. You're coming to us from Toronto, correct? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's great to have you. We've, we're we're. I feel like Tromba is like sort of the unofficial sponsor of this podcast yeah. now. So, <laughs> love it. And I've drank Make a lot of Trump. Yeah, I've drank a lot of Trump in the last few months. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's just uh, dive into your history a little bit. You've kind of moved all over the place. You were born in Quebec City. Yep. And uh, yeah, your and your parents were restaurateurs. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. So basically, uh, my dad owned about 10 or 11 restaurants out of 35 years of career. So when I was born, he owned a bunch of Harvey's. So about four Harvey's restaurants. I was born with all the swag of Harvey's and orange trays. What? Orange trays. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Orange trays. Yeah. Everything orange. Um, and yeah, so I, I grew up in the, I mean, in the industry, right? Like I, I was really young, but our, you know, restaurants from my playground, whether it was my dad's restaurant or any other restaurants, cause we would travel a lot. Cause my dad would want to bring, you know, ideas from all around the world. So I got to, to be very confident in a restaurant and very outgoing because of that as well. Mm. And there's stuff that I know that I 
I know from a seven years old age, you know, it's just things that I, without even noticing it, that I just remembered. And then as I officially started working for my dad at 15, I knew already a bunch of stuff in hospitality. So it's, it's running through my blood, you know, it's my jam. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Let's, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that because I think you're the first person we've had on the show who sort of grew up in the industry in that fashion. Like lots of people started young, but I don't know if we've ever interviewed anyone who actually they had a family background. Yeah. Had a family born background. in a restaurant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so talk, no. uh, tell yeah. me, maybe you can dive in a little deeper into like how you feel that helped you when you started in your own career in the industry. You feel like you already had it all figured out by the time you got your first actual industry job? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, 100 percent. And, um, you know, when I it's funny because my dad wanted to pass over the restaurant to us. Right. But I, when we had to sit down, I was about maybe 15. And at that age, I was like, I wanted to study literature and I was a nice. big artist. And, you know, I was working at a restaurant, but it was just a job, right? And eventually, as I worked, you know, more for him, um, I really got into, you know, I I realized that I could do as a career, could do this as a career. And then at this point, it's a very sad story, though. My dad's restaurants bur- burned down when I was 19. Oh, my God. So I moved into working, you know, in other restaurants. And I, I remember the day I had this epiphany of like, oh, wait a minute, I could actually do this for a living. And then I reached out to my dad and I was like, at this point, I had four years experience. Right. And um, I was like, I want to do like a class, like a, a waitress class or serving course or whatever. And he's like, well, you don't need to do this. What you should do instead is do a sum training to become mm-hmm. a CPA. And this is going to open your door to have access to, you know, better or I would say a bit more um, high-end restaurants, which are going to train you and teach you how to give a better service. So mm-hmm. this is what you do. And that was like an amazing advice. And then I started my some training and I ended up, you know, studying some for, you know, some wine and spirits for 10 years. So that what opened me doors uh, wherever I would go. So it was an amazing advice. But I've got a very funny story story for you guys um Good. about growing up as a kid into my dad restaurant and i was visiting i was in st catherine's last week and i told the story and i just forgot how funny it was so my dad was the best seller in the province of galliano you know that, like, really a lot yeah. of harvey wallbangers <laughs> no so the, <laughs> actually his last restaurant the one that burned down was called uh l'international the international and it was like a 300 seat restaurant, two Ooh, bars, okay. two stories, like a big, big, big restaurant in Quebec uh, City. And uh, so it was the biggest seller of Galliano because the hot shot was a signature shot. And he had all the swag and all the POS from Galliano. And one of them was like like a ping pong paddle with little holes in it to put the shots. Like, a, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has that little bike bell. So yeah. you put the shot on it and then you just ring the bell. But my dad would say to the waiters, like, if you have an order, just go through all the detours and the restaurant to go to your table. Therefore, everyone would be like, ooh, what is happening? I want this. Right, and, right. But then so as a kid, we were obviously eat all the time at my dad's restaurant. So at the end of the meal, obviously a round of hot shot and, you know, which just comes with that thing. And as a kid, I'm like, hey, what is going on? There's a party going on and we're not invited and it yeah. rings the bell. And then so there's a very nice bartender. Her name is Carole. And she noticed that the kids at the table were very sad about this. And then so she invented what she called the Galliano Hot Kids, which was basically grenadine, orange juice, and whipped cream. So I was literally doing virgin shots at a very oh. young age. I'm like, okay, no matter what, I turned out this way. You know, it's just, for me, it was just normal, right? So, yeah. yeah. You, know, you learn. You learn. So how did, like, what was the cause of the fire? Um, in the kitchen. Yeah, um, the, always those fuckers. Cleaning the hot, yeah. <laughs> hot you know when the, the cleaners, they used to come all night to clean the hot, and then at some point it would come for only two hours, so they're putting corners in their work, and it's very, very dangerous for, for, right. uh, for kitchen equipment. So, yeah, people that own restaurants, just make sure your cleaners are doing a good job <sighs> with your equipment. But, um. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was very, very unfortunate. But yeah, I had to to move on and to go towards other, you know, other restaurants and even when traveling and everything. So that's, you know. Yeah. So you mentioned we're probably just going to jump around a little bit here because yeah. you've done a lot of things. And so this might not be very chronological, but um, you mentioned that you had done all of the uh, like a large number of the WSET SOM courses. Uh, and then but then you failed the master SOM course. 
Yeah. That was the best thing that happened to me. Why is that? Life gives you some lessons some days. Um, So I went through the the first um, training I did was in Quebec City. It was called ASP, and it's like 450 hours online, and it's in French. Then I moved to Australia, and I realized that I couldn't say a word in English after a while. I thought it was good. I was not. Um, but then I came back, and I came back, and I could speak English finally. But the the, the wine terms were really hard for me because it was not part of my you know routine. So I decided to do W set just as a refresher of the class I did. But at least it was in English. So I did my do my level two in in Montreal, my level three, and moved to New York to do it. And then I got introduced to the world of. Uh, which was actually way more for me because I'm super ADD and W said is in class you pay attention I can do that so and then the exam the way it is there's a lot of like description and writing uh, it's not for me whereas quarter sommelier you do the work at home and I'm very very uh, disciplined when it comes to like working from home working out from home like I just can't stop working like, I'm so focused um, so all the all the I mean all the learning is on your own with a computer is good and the exam is just you know a b c or d is very fast very cool the thing is uh well so the first level i did it in toronto a few years ago i passed it the second one is a bit harder obviously and killed myself almost literally i stopped eating sleeping it was like i was a i was so stressed i was went to new york to do it so i just went to visit New York for my exam and I was I was sick as a dog. I literally drove myself in care of myself, even though someone is not good at it. And then I I passed my so there's three parts of the exam. The first one is the theory. This I had like I had nothing to to, to improve. It was, it was perfect. The tasting part, the blind tasting part, and that's my weakness. I was sick as a dog, as I mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. Pile of Phoenix and like that. Yeah, how do you do a blind tasting when you're sick? Like, I know it was so obvious. I was like front row, like mountain of Kleenex. I was like, you guys are assholes. Anyway. And then, <laughs> so, and then so the third part, and that's the part that frustrates me. So like, I love the organization, but their service part was not what giving a service is. It was more like, tell me what's in this. Tell me what's in this. As opposed to suggesting or bringing customers Experience, right right um but i passed this part thank god um but then the part that i failed was the blind taste that i barely actually they wrote this on my on my failing sort of that's on my wall actually i'm proud of it i studied <laughs> for it um so yeah so then i went back to montreal like destroyed it was like what am i going to do i didn't want to do it again because it just very hurt me i didn't like this i didn't look at myself in the mirror and that they couldn't recognize me there's something wrong about it. And then I was like, everything happened for a reason. It fucking sucks. But I know something great is coming for me. And right after that, I had the opportunity to become brand ambassador. For it. Uh, well, it was for an agency in Quebec called Raisin, which actually was distributing Tramba. So Tramba was part of my portfolio. Yeah. But I was working for the distributor. A bit like PMA is for us. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But it was my, my first job of brand ambassador. And I don't think it would have happened if I didn't fail this class. Because I would have continued being a sommelier and a carrier that I love. I love wine. I don't see myself working. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, it must be discouraging to like, because I know uh, we, I have friends and we've interviewed plenty of people on the show as well who have done, gone that route um, through the Master Sommelier course. And uh, like it is so much studying and so much work and then get so close and like barely fail something basically because you're sick. Like the the, I can't even imagine the notion of starting that all over again. Like, you must just be like, fuck this. It, yeah, it's so much work. And it was only the second level, right? It was the um, certification. And then you've got the... Uh, what's wrong with me? I forgot. I'm blanking on this. Anyway, so you got four level. I failed the second one. You've got a third one. The advance is a third one. And the fourth one is master thumb. And I've got a friend who's actually currently going through it. And I'm like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. Crazy, and there's a documentary on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So for me, the one that I failed, that I almost killed myself for, was only the second level. Right. So yeah. I'm Debbie. I'm the wrong woman, but I don't want to go through this again. No, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. Like, yeah, yeah. I always am impressed with people who make it all the way to the end. But it's also, I feel like, sometimes I also feel like, what? Really? Why? Like, why kill yourself that much for a little bit more knowledge, wine knowledge? Or just, it's, it's, I mean, I guess it's the same as like going to school for anything, but yeah. sometimes the certifications become a little bit meaningless when you're talking about what you're putting yourself through, right? For sure. And it, at the end of the day, wine, wine career is directly linked to general consumer. And there's no way to yeah. get understand everything you know. So yeah. Why would you go that deep if you have no one to share it with? Besides your friends, or you want to call, or you want to, you know. Right. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I have. I would never have enough room in my head for all this information. As I said, I'm so ADD. For me to retain an information, like I can't never know everything about. Me. That's what I love this part. I, I know I went a little bit down the road with the W set and then I was just kind of like, well, I'm killing multiple brain cells every day just in my leisure activity. So I like, how am I going to retain all this information? That's not, I'm losing brain power, not gaining it. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, you did move to Australia at some point. Why did you decide to go to Australia and what did, what were you doing there? So I was about 23 when I decided that I wanted to move somewhere else. I just broke up with my boyfriend at the time. I was in Quebec City. I wasn't to that crossroad of like, okay, I think now will be a good time to do a move. And also I wanted to to well, learn English. Um, right. I mean, in Quebec, we do, it's like you and French here. Like you do learn it at school, but as a, as a second language, that's like mm-hmm. a whole other story. And then so I first wanted to move to London because I'm like, I want to get there. I like the accent. And then I was chatting and I wanted to go by myself. You know, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go. You know, I know I can get a visa. And then I was chatting with a friend and she was like, let's fucking go to Australia. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's a we now? Okay, cool. Yeah. And I'm like, but I had, I had no clue what Australia was. Like, I've never really got into it. And I was like, okay, we can do this. And then I'm like, ooh, I'm blah. I was okay with, you know, changing the destination and stop everything and, and move there. And so were you working in bars and restaurants when you were in Australia? Yes. Well, I came back with like a lot of like a, a good background in hospitality. At this point, we had almost 10 years of experience with my first wine class and everything. Um, the thing is, I couldn't really speak a word in English, but I, my first job was a cocktail waitress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of a nightclub or rooftop um, in Melbourne. And I remember my my manager was telling me like you know just giving me a training and the house and everything and i remember saying like i don't get anything that he's doing when i really hope it's not important and i was like <laughs> oh my god i just i'm just gonna do the job but you know and ozzy's got a really thick scent and mm-hmm. when it comes to ordering drinks and they have different type of drinks and i'm like what did this guy order? I have no clue. And I try to pretend like, oh, because people thought it was cute. They're like, oh, you're so stupid. You're so cute. But then I was like, how many fucking language do you speak, man? Like, right. right. <laughs> they they're like, well, in my experience in Australia, they don't really even speak one. <laughs> yeah, right? Just kidding, like, <laughs> Australians. Just kidding, if anyone's listening. But I loved Australia. But there's Australia is sort of the the U.S. of uh, of the Commonwealth? Of the Commonwealth, yeah. <laughs> but no, they're awesome. Well, actually, in Tramba, two of the founders are Australian, Nick and Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Well, then, uh, I, didn't, I didn't mean any of that. I know, but it's, it, yeah, their accent, I mean, when you're coming to learn, like, another language, it's, it's a bit intense. But you know what, like, I came back with a little bit of Australian accents that I'm losing, obviously, over time. But when I get drunk, like, real drunk, the eyes come into my accent and it's... That must be funny because you still have a little, obviously, quite a Quebecois accent as well. So it's like it becomes a mismatch of those. Yes. When I get really tired, I get very French. And when I get really drunk, I get very Aussie. <laughs> so it's very confusing. And I lived in New York for a little bit and was working in a wine bar. And people could just not pick where I was from. People were like, are you like South African? Are you Irish? Like, I would get everything but Canadian because obviously I don't sound Canadian. And, you know, I would braid my hair like that. And I'd be like, are you like Finnish, Norwegian? Like, people would yeah, just yeah. confuse on me. But it's good. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, um, people like reasons to talk to you about different things, right? So that's that works out. Okay, yeah. so you got deported from Australia, though. Tell, <laughs> tell us about that. 
like I forgot that was in there. You know what? Okay, the first the first moment you land foot in Australia, you realize that you don't want to leave, and yeah. you're willing to do everything to not leave. Obviously, try to fall in love didn't work. So my other how do you try to fall in love? What do you? <laughs> didn't do much, you know. <laughs> I don't know if there was a course for that. Well, <laughs> I know, right? Damn, I went to wine. Um, no, I mean, and it's not even like in, in the U.S. you get married. And, I mean, it's not easy, but it's easier. In, in Australia, I don't really believe in God or anything. So it's really more you need to be with a person for two years and prove that you live together. Right. The max amount of time I could get is two years. So obviously, it's like, ooh, I need to fall in love with first day. Oh, I see. Yeah, like, mean. it's just yeah. very confusing. But no, I mean, I was kind of looking for, I had two years of working holiday visa, which is the max. Yeah. And then I was kind of looking for a sponsorship for my work. And as I was into the process of that, I had to come back home because I've been gone for 19 months. I missed the babies, my amazing nephew included. So I had to, and I had to, I was planning to leave for like eight months. And then after like 19 months, my dad's like, we're still paying that fucking storage, all your shit. Like, do you even want it? They're like, no, I want to move to Australia. So I had to come back to kind of, you know, sort things out. And when I came back to Australia, I was actually at the end of my last visa. So what I did is I took a, like a travel visa, like a tourist visa. Mm-hmm. But then obviously I didn't have enough money to just not work. So I did work anyway. And it was not allowed and I knew it. And um, I did a mistake to go travel to Bali back and forth. For- Everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I got caught on my way back in, and uh, and then I got deported. But you know what? It's so. I mean, it's okay. Obviously, it's so amazing to live there, and anybody was willing to stay in there. So I tried. Um, and you know what? They deported me. They were supposed to be them so nice. They got me to the to the gate gate of the uh, plane, and they hugged me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> this would n- would never happen in the states. Like no. oh, there yeah. are so sweet it was it was a great experience you know considering what was happening it was a great deportation experience yeah <laughs> <laughs> these are the heartwarming deportation stories that needs to be an a and e program people like did you kill someone i'm like i mean i didn't do anything i'm a nice one i just you know i just worked and i shouldn't not have <laughs> so tell us how you got your nickname because i think there's a story behind that yeah so i was texting my boss uh, eric brass it sounded like you said sexting, but I think you said texting, right? Texting, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I said, oh my God. <laughs> just turn it up. I just want, in case anyone misunderstood. Margarita from my Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's because our connection keeps on. A little bit yeah. of blips here every now yeah, and then. Yeah, so it's okay. cut out the first letter. Yeah. I was texting. Um, I blame the second language here. Yeah. But yeah. Eric Brass, so uh, one of the founder um, of Tequila Tromba. So he was about three, four years ago when I, I was working for them in Montreal, and I was uh, I was saying like, oh, Julie's gonna do this. I was talking myself the third person. Julie's gonna, and I did a typo in my name because the L and the K is right next to each other in the keyboard. Mm-hmm. This is like Juki's gonna go and do this. And it was like, oh my god, this is amazing. This is funny. And I was like. And then he literally asked everyone to call me. We were like, yes. come on, I saw Julie last night. He'd be like, sorry, who? And it was just became a thing. And back then I lived in Montreal, but Trumbai would get me here all the time, like fly to Toronto, help him with the fans. You know, so I got to fall in love with the, with, with the industry here. And I got to fall in love with the city. And it was like, what my Toronto nickname? Oh, be ready, Toronto, Tornado Juki's coming. And it was like my <laughs> drug alter ego nickname. And at some point I changed my Facebook for, for Juki. And then I just realized it had like, or whatever. Mom was like, so really became the thing. And then when I started with Trauma again um, a year or ish ago, I said, Eric, like, hey, so my email is going to be uh, Juki Ate. He was like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, like my last name is not easy to pronounce and I want something easy to remember so yeah my instagram as well juki.to so it's just very easy but it's definitely coming from oh, eric yeah. is so proud of it shout out to eric on this <laughs> he's like i was in a meeting and people calling me juki this is amazing oh like, yeah this is a thing now <laughs> So when you came back, you come back from Australia, you're still obviously working in um, bar and restaurant jobs. At what point do you decide that you want to make the transition into like a more of a rep or ambassador type position? 
few years because when I moved back to Quebec City after the Valley, it's been really fucking boring to me. Like, I love Quebec, but very French, it's very conservative, it's, it, everything's the same, and I I had lived all this amazing experience, right? I was on the cloud, I'm like, okay, this is not enough. So I moved to Montreal. I kept working in industry, but I got a little more into cocktails because the cocktail culture in Australia is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, that's something, I, if I can stop you from saying, I, I don't think we realize that. Like when, like, when I was in Australia, it was just drinking, like, everywhere, every, everywhere I went. I think I was just going to the wrong spots, but it was also a lot earlier than you were there, I'm sure. But, the, like, it was mostly just a beer culture, a, a bro and beer culture everywhere I went. People walking into bars with no Shirts. footwear. Or shirts <laughs> and uh, yeah. like and just pounding. What's a big um, Victoria? What is there? What's the beer? I want to say Victoria. Yeah, Victoria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or VB. Yeah. VB. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, Victoria Bitters. Yeah, that. But like, that's what that was my recollection of Australia. But then we talked to Sean Sewell, and he was down there doing some crazy stuff with cocktails. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like, I didn't realize that uh, Australia was so big into the cocktail culture. Or maybe I just missed it. Well, it depends on the spots, obviously, because I worked into, like, bartender, well, sorry, more, sorry, backpackers type of bars, and then we right. have a bunch of Irish people coming in. Then again, they're crazy as well. Irish people coming in, once some Jagger bombs and some beers, pint beer, pot beers, cooners, all these things. So beer is definitely a huge part of it. Uh, they have amazing cider as well this is where i discovered to drink well i mean the the culture of cider mm-hmm. um and I, I have to say that when i left quebec city at this point i was very into beer because quebec makes amazing beers mm-hmm. and i was a beer fan but i moved there and it was like so hot so i was like i don't crave like heavy beers like i was drinking in quebec so i got into cider and then as i moved to more high-end bars i realized that the cocktail scene was was there but not everywhere there's definitely a bunch of like as you said the type of bar you walk in, you just have a pint of beer. A little bit like, I would say, I've never been, but maybe a little bit like the English way, you know, in England, you know, pubs and everything. But I worked into the place and it was called the Italian and the Pacific and their cocktail game was amazing. And also their coffee game is so, like, on top. It's crazy. Mm. Like, I worked for my dad since I was 15. And it was my, my first job was to make coffee at my dad's restaurant. I thought I nailed it. I go into an interview to make to be a barista over there. This guy yells at me. And he's like, you're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Throw my resume at me. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> so there's Prisa Martini. It's like the coffee culture and the cocktail culture together. They're amazing. And I was, I was not a bartender and that I was a. I worked in a nightclub. I was like just throwing vodka sodas all over the place. But I was right. a server at, at this amazing high Italian restaurant and I was just watching the bartender doing his things and it was like crazy. And there's one recipe I remember it was a coconut jalapeno cocktail and I still do this recipe today. Ooh. This is amazing. That sounds delicious, yeah. This is where I had my first Negroni and I think it's a you know it's a milestone in the in the life of bartender. Yeah. Uh so yeah, what, what the, that's an interesting thing to talk about too. Like everybody has that cocktail that kind of like sort of changes. Like if you're in the service industry, that kind of change your life and be like, okay, this is kind of what I want to do because I want to make things that taste like that. And a, most, a lot of the times that'll be an inventive cocktail that you try that someone did. But the, in the classic cocktails, uh, the people rest on the Negroni, the Manhattan. So for you, it's Negroni. I think it was, yeah, and I think it was the cocktail that I wanted to like because it's a bit of an acquired taste, yeah. and I thought it was so cool to like Negroni. So obviously the first sip, I didn't really like it. Right. I forced myself to, to like it because it was the cool thing to do, mm-hmm. and eventually you love it, but it's it's like olives or blue cheese or whatever. It's an acquired taste, but right. it's, it's more, you know, it's it's definitely a bartender thing. And it's these cocktails like, you know, Negronis and Old Fashioned Manhattan, they're so simple, but yet so complex because it's so easy to fuck up. Like yes. you go to places and they model cherries and, 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 and orange and add soda and you're like three fucking ingredients, man. Like seriously. Mm. Well, yeah. if you include the ice, which is also very important for, but so, yeah, I think these are like very important classic cocktails. And it's, I guess when you have your first one is also a moment very important in your life. Cause yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you always remember, you know, the first time, right? I'm glad you said that too. We talked about this a lot on the show, but like it is it, for such simple ingredients, they're so easy to fuck up. And we used to talk a lot, early, especially early in the show, about like 
you know, if you went into a bar and tested a bartender on like, okay, is this a cool bar or not? Like I would always like order a Manhattan and like, and then if they nailed it, then you knew that was a cool bar that you could go drink. And it doesn't matter what the rest of the bar is like, the atmosphere yeah. or whatever, right? If they yeah. can nail the Manhattan or a Negroni or an old fashioned, that you know you're or in super it. Super plain. Super yeah. plain is the thing that I like to ask because yeah. it's a new classic. I mean, it's a modern classic, modern right? Modern classic, yeah. So it's a little above, uh, you know, it, it's, some people have no clue what it is. Yeah, but if you but if the bartender can pull it off, then you know you're in a legit spot, like you know. Um, So you've done you've worked in so many different areas of the service industry, and like so, you've done so much education. Obviously, you've dedicated your life to this industry that we love. Talk. What What's your favorite type of place to work in? I mean, my favorite place, and that's a specific place, it was Garden Manger. It's a restaurant in Montreal. Chuck Hughes is mm-hmm. an amazing chef at this restaurant. And I loved it so much because I was doing, my bar is my favorite. So the bar has it's like an L shape, 10 people at the bar. You also the bar service of the restaurant. And I loved it because I could connect way more with the customer because they're in front of me the whole time. And right. it was amazing. And people had to reserve like ahead of time to go to Garmanger, like some three months ahead of time. And mm-hmm. a lot of tourists would come and to be part of this experience with them. They're so excited to be there. There's always a celebration around it um, normally. And then you just, you know, you just guide them. You're like, do you trust me? I'm just going to rock your wall tonight. Like we're just going to do this together. Um, and then you bring them in all sorts of d- different direction. And then so I was involved in the cocktail list that create cocktails. But I was also kind of the assistant manager, Jess. Um, shout out to Jess. She's fucking amazing. She one of the owner, but also the sommelier. And I learned so much to work alongside with her. So when we had like reps to come in, I would sit down and taste with her. When she was not on site, it would kind of be the sommelier. Kind of if anyone had any questions, I would be the one to ask too. So I got to touch like a bit everything. I got to do service. I got to do cocktail. I got to do wine. And it was just such a fun ambience. Like it's just, you don't even feel like you're working. It's, it's, it was just very great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a dream job, especially for someone like you who has your, who has educated yourself in so many different formats. You get to use it all at once in one setting. But I also really like what you said there, too, because like any of us who work in the service industry, if you are in that situation where you can literally like, first of all, people are waiting to come there. So but the, there's only two people who you're going to get. You're going to get the people who are like, oh, I fucking waited this long to get this place and this is all I got. Like, there's always going to be that person, but there's going to but the majority of them are going to be already eager yeah. to be thrilled. Right. Yeah. Like they're they're yeah. already lo- looking forward to it. And they're like, it's, it's going to be almost hard to disappoint them. At it. And then if, yeah. you can, and if you do like just change work, man, like it's, yeah. Just, yeah. It, it's so hard, like they're coming and they give you this. Right. So, yeah, yeah no, it's true. No, 100 percent. Yeah. And then like it's so great to be able to just take somebody on a tour and just be OK. Let's I, I like how you mentioned that, because I think. The height of what we do is when you have an interactive experience with your guest, and it's not just like, oh, we've all worked in clubs where you're just churning out vodka soda, like you mentioned, or Jager Moms, like you mentioned earlier. We've all worked in like super fine dining spots where you're supposed to be like seen but not heard, almost. Yeah. Um, but yeah. those that that kind of an immersive experience, that's what like that's what people who are lifers in this industry really are looking forward to. Like that's what we For want. Sure. Well, it depends on the personality. My, I'm so outgoing. Like, I love people so much. And I want to be part of their world. And I want to change their world. And, you know, mm-hmm. but there's some people that are just, they're different style of, you know, in, in hospitality, there's so many offers for you out there, especially right now. Mm-hmm. That, like, pick the spot that makes more sense, that makes you feel like yourself. And mm-hmm. they're freaking going to enjoy your work you can enjoy your shift you're gonna feel you know grateful to have this job and you're gonna grow with with this you know place when i quit garmanger i cried like i was like but i had a great opportunity and i you know had to go but yeah yeah and what um okay so i I think we started getting to talk about this and then we got off on a tangent as this show often does Mm -hmm. but um (laughs) very add jukey that's perfect no no that's just this fucking honestly that's just this show and i'm not saying it has to do with the problems with the host but it might (laughs) but uh, um we were we're talking about like how you decide to transition into doing more like of a rep ambassador job yeah like what how did you make that decision well, you know what? It kind of happens because of Garden Manger because I was working there 
and I was planning to go to South America for a 20-day trip by myself. And then so one of the rep came. So this rep, his name is Steve Beausejour, one of my favorite people on earth. He's a rep for Raisin, which is the agency I eventually worked at and represented Tromba. And then so it came into Garmanger and I was like, oh, I'm going to Chile. And it was like, oh, I'm going to hook you up with, with some winemakers. So I went to South America and I was like taking care of, I stayed at winemakers um, domain and, you know, go through the wines and everything. So it actually really saved my life. I had like a, a bit of an adventure um, in, 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 in Peru. I got packed on the beach with someone with a knife and I got oh. so scared for my life. Yeah. And I actually like you were just on the beach by your... Sorry, hang on. You can't gloss over that story. So you, <laughs> you you were on the beach by yourself and you got attacked by somebody with a knife? Yeah, I was running at like 8 a.m. on the beach in Peru and someone tried to attack me. But obviously I was wearing nothing, you know, like a little shorts and a little top and that's it. And um, and I was like, yeah, no, I have nothing on me. And I argued with the guy, obviously. <laughs> on me. And then he, he started laughing and he left. So I was, I was like, okay, I'm a little scared now. You know, five foot two blonde girl, you know, but I, I'm so... I don't know. I'm such a strong woman. I'm like, I don't need anyone to protect me anyway. So then when I went to visit those winemakers afterwards, I was very happy to have them protect me and to, 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 to host me, you know? So then I came back and I was like to this guy, Steve, like you saved my life. Like, so we went for a drink and I, you know, and we got to become friends and eventually the agency was only for wine, but they have, you know, those amazing natural wine and every, every winemakers they have on the list have, have to have like, a good story behind it, a human side of it, family-owned, young entrepreneur. So a beautiful agency. And they decided to go into spirits because they had a few brands and they're like, we're looking for a brand ambassador. And then Steve was like, I know the girl, like mm. this Julie, that, that's for her. So, and then he reached out to me. He was like, I've got the perfect job for you. It was a part-time job, which is good because I could keep going into, you know, in hospitality. But, and Tramba was in my portfolio. And what I did when I started working for these brands, I reached out to all the producer and I, I messaged Eric Brass on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, yo, I'm going to be doing a little event with Trauma. I'd like to find more, find out more about it. And he replied to me right away. Eventually, I came to Toronto and, and met them. And they, it was actually, it was, it was not, they were about to hire me. But before hiring me, they wanted to see me what I can, you know, see what I can do. So like, oh, we're having an event. We'd like to hire you as like, on contract just for this event you'll talk about the products i'm like yeah you definitely want to you want to test yeah, it. yeah yeah it's an audition yeah. bring it so I reach yeah. out to all the producers i'm like i want to know everything about your products and then and then so i met with eric brass eventually and we we had this you know really like i was not supposed to go ahead and like meet my producers like this but i did it anyway and i was like oh you know i'm in toronto when in rome and i'm gonna meet with eric and i remember i had a meeting with eric and, and pete my director today and he texted the the owner of raisin if you don't hire this girl we're out so that's how i became brand ambassador and that's why tromba is part of my my heart from the start because they were part of my portfolio alongside with a, a bunch of other amazing spirits but tromba had a really special place in my heart yeah well and at risk of sounding like we're just shills for tromba on this show at some point uh we're big fans and so tell us what you like about the product and um like like your spiel as it would be to maybe try and sell someone on Trump as opposed to a different type of brand of tequila. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm going to honestly, and I don't really tell this story a lot, but since I talked about how I got to work with Tromba, the first, you know, I'm a bit of a creep in a way that I want to know everything about my product. So Eric Brass messaged me. So I'm like, okay, who is this guy? So I Google Eric Brass and there's a video that pops and it's him talking about tequila. And talking about the um, the misconception of tequila, that people have bad experiences. And I could relate to that so much because I had a bad experience. It was in mm. Quebec City. I was 20. I had a shot of tequila. Didn't, you know, didn't really, let's say, went down the wrong pipe. Is that the expression? Yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, oh, I think I'm done with tequila. So I literally, and after telling you guys, Everywhere I lived and all the amazing cocktail scene I came across, New York, Australia. I said no to tequila for fucking 13 years. And then I listened to Eric Brass saying that, yeah, but like, 
Nowadays, we have amazing 100% agave tequila in the market. What you had back then was probably mixed dough. This is where you had the headache. And it really, you know, I had this epiphany, enlightened me. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that. So I've been yeah. missing out because I've been drinking the bad shit. And, and you still, you know, with tequila, it's like a, you still remember what it tastes like. Mm. Like the memory of tequila, it's, it's, it, you can remember what it smells like, what it tastes like. It's crazy how, you know, I don't remember all the gin I got drunk on when I was young, but tequila has this, this, I don't know, special power. People remember exactly what it tastes like. And it's crazy. And then I was like, I can't believe I've been missing out. And then I started drinking Tramba, which is the first tequila I drank after 13 years. And I was like, holy shit, it tastes like a cloud. So that was the best thing I could ever do for me to sell Tramba. Because mm-hmm. this is exactly what we're trying to educate people on. We, I ask people all the time, tell me your story. I've heard them all. I'm actually, I think I want to write a book. I write them all. <laughs> What's the story? When was it? Where were you? How did you order it? Yeah, of course it was crap. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, and that knowledge, that education is like, yeah, this is why it was crap. And it's funny because yeah. Roy was telling us some of that stuff as well when he was on the podcast earlier about like what the reason why shitty tequila is shitty tequila, right? Like, and, but if you don't educate yourself, and most people don't, most people are just doing shots in a bar or whatever. Now, I do think that tequila is like in a renaissance period right now where people are understanding that that's a, it's just a great sipping spirit. And it gives you uh, like a buzz like no other spirit either. Like I, it's like the only other spirit that you can say this about is, is absinthe. And that's a completely different situation, obviously. But like tequila gives you this like yeah. wonderful sort of warm body buzz and you feel like it's it's almost like an uh like an ecstasy feel to it if you just get a little bit drunk on tequila without getting too drunk and 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 very little in the hangover department exactly what tequila is actually made from agave which is a plant right Mm -hmm. so this is the more most natural you can go you know some people are drinking like vodka sodas because it's the skinniest drink or the lightest drink it's actually made out of grain and sometimes potato, whereas mm-hmm. it's made out of a plant. So it's super natural. And and if you pick 100% agave tequila, this is where you have no pinors. Whereas if you pick mixed dough, so mixed dough has minimum 51% agave, and the remaining is is crap. It's corn syrup, you know, um, sugar cane, and this is where your headache is coming from. So what you want is really 100% agave tequila. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, when you when you look at all, so tequila needs to come from, you know, five specific regions in Mexico, from one type of agave, the Blue Weber agave, made almost a similar way. So when you look at the market, like, why do we have all these brands of tequilas and all different price points? Well, there's a reason for it. How come it's coming from the same place, made almost the same way with the same agave? How come I've got $30 one? How come I've got $100 one? Well, you need to look into how it's made. Is a hundred percent agave tequila? No. Well, take off all the the furs from thirty to thirty five dollars, and there's a way of making tequila. People are cutting corner. Um, that's why you save, you know, save on cost. Then you got a sweet spot. You know, it's a between forty five fifty dollars. I mean, exactly where Tramba stands at. That you like everything is done right. Everything is is you know fair. And and even though the agave, the price of the agave jumped for like three pesos when we started, now 30 pesos on agave, we didn't oh, never wow. take a price point. Because for us, it's important to be in that sweet spot because you have the quality and accessible price. And you look at all those other tequilas, like $100 a bottle. How? Why? Why? You're doing the same thing as, you know, we do, but why? Oh, is that the bottle itself? Is that the rock star behind it? So sometimes you really need to look at like, how the tequila is made and what you want is really that sweet spot. And that was, that was, you know, Eric and, and, and uh, our Aussie friends goal to, to bring this gun to the market. And obviously we're so lucky to have Marco. I mean, you met Roy, right? He's awesome. He's yeah. That always is, is my, he's my rock star. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, amazing. A, yeah. he's the Wayne Gretzky of Tromba. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> And it was interesting talking to Nicole as well because it was cool to have the perspective of like how you market it at the same time. That was very yeah. people should go back and listen to that episode in the archives. It's with yeah. Nicole McCallum and Roy, uh, who is like the essentially 
I don't know. He, the I think he calls distiller. apprentice distiller because his dad's yeah. never leaving. <laughs> yeah, it's episode, awesome. That's right. Episode 52. 52. See, look, yeah. this is why there we pay. This, that's why Dan, Dan gets paid the big bucks on this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do I return the empties for that all from all the booze we drink to while we record the show? So that's, you guys are sipping on Reposado, eh? Yeah. yeah. So we are si- currently sipping the uh, Reposado Tromba in, in well, honor of your appearance on the show. Thank you. Guess what? Right now we have a $5 off at LCBO. There you go. See, shameless plug, shameless well, plug. I'll be done this probably in another week, so I'm sure I'll be well, it's, it's on until July 20th, I think, so we have like a solid month of, uh, of uh, yeah. Rosado parties. Perfect. So I, I'm just going to ask you a couple quick more questions, and then we'll let yeah. you go. You've given us some time here. Uh, what, for people who don't really understand the ambassador job or um, – or like the Juki job, I can't remember exactly what you said. The, the, the title was tequila fairy job. <laughs> yeah, the tequila fairy job. Yes. Um, what like what does your job entail? Like, let's take COVID out of the equation yeah. and say and say pre-COVID. Like, what what's your day to day? Pretty crazy, I have to say. Um, there's no routine. First of all, that's why it's perfect for me. Um, it's I would say. Part of admin job and admin is everything that you have to be in front of a computer first for. Mm-hmm. And that's not even counting social media. So admin is like to reach out to people, to follow up on meetings and everything, but it's mostly on the road and visiting accounts, as we say. Um, so I we know Trumba being a you know a Toronto brand, you know, one of the founders from Toronto, we do have a distributor, which is PMA. So we have a sales team, but we love to give extra love to our Toronto people. We've been, you know, lucky to have a lot of supporters through the year. And you know, you can find Trumba pretty much everywhere in Toronto. Um, and we're super grateful for that. So I definitely do a lot of work um, you know, on my own as well. So go visit accounts, have meetings, and um working with our PMA team. So as I said, you know, I can go say, Laura, okay, I'm coming for a day. Build me a schedule. I don't even know where we're going. It's fine. I'll be ready no matter what. What do I bring? Where do I meet you? Mm-hmm. And I can adapt myself to wherever we go. And that's fun. So I, I help them with the work. So at the end of the day, my goal is to sell Trumba, but also, and most importantly, to educate people on tequila. Right. And the story of Trumba. And so that's what we really, really push for staff training. So I go into a venue and have all the staff in front of me and we go through the presentation of Tromba. And, you know, it's very important for us. If we want to educate the general consumers, it's going through the staff and from our account. So this Mm -hmm. is a very big part of my job. But also, and the most fun part is to create or come up with all those programs and the and the one that I'm the proudest of, my baby, is the Freezy programs. I don't know if oh, you've yeah. seen Freezy's yeah. around. I've seen, we've seen, I've seen it all over Instagram. We have. I saw that um, Proof Kitchen and Lounge is a um, yes. cool bar in town here in Kitchen Waterloo is is uh, selling those. And I guess maybe I should be selling those, eh? I'm going to come and see you. We'll talk okay. about it. Right. Sure. Yeah, okay. Freezy is, is one of the really fun programs we came up with. Um, yeah, tell us about it. It sounds cool. Yeah, I know. It's very cool. I mean, we um, we came up with beautiful branded sleeves um, and then the accounts, you know, you can make their own makes or they can, you know, we, we support the way we can. And, I, you know, I, I did all the work, you know, the cost calculation. I did how to videos, like everything's there just to help our accounts to come up with, you know, unique ideas, how to do freezies. Like two weeks ago, I had a dinner with my neighbors in the backyard which are like my family here, right? And we had oysters and freezies. And it was like mm. cucumber margarita. And I would put some of the freezy on the oyster and it was just so magical. It was just fucking amazing. It was like cold and juicy and, and tasty. So um, yeah, I think this is like my favorite part of my job just to bring experience around, you know, of course we can pour shots of tromba. What else can we do in mm. In our bars and restaurants and i think that especially right now people want to be impressed want to go out they're like okay what do you have for me and i think the freezies is something that has really a bit of a wow effect and especially i think it's an instagram magnet like everybody loves yeah to see their freezies and everything so that's you know that's one of them and um yeah and also you know covid was a little tricky in a way that like every program i had to come up with 
for me, safety is first. Like safety for the staff, the restaurant, myself. So all my staff training, our uh, QR code, everybody on their phone, they can follow me talking. I don't need to be close from them. So everything is, you know, around being safe. So all the programs are also all in the prep. I think pre-batch was our reality for the last year. All in the prep, really fun and fast execution and with the wow effect, with the juice. Mm. With the Juki effect, well, I need to, there's always a portion of the podcast where I just try and do business with people, and this is, we're at this part now, so we need the Juki effect at Sugar Run Bar, as yeah. soon as you're able to do it, we'll do the freezy thing, we have a patio now, somehow, it's a, it might be the first patio and a speakeasy but you need to adapt it's right? pivot the yeah. worst the worst and most important word of the pandemic is pivot <laughs> i know right no yeah. i yeah. yeah. Uh, good so, yeah i'm definitely gonna come down we're okay, gonna do it yeah we can do we'll no. hook up with laura and uh, laura's actually gonna be a guest on the show in a few weeks so oh, nice yeah oh, so, amazing make yeah. sure you talk, you talk about her new dog Oh fuck! We don't need to talk about our new dog. You just have to oh, scroll. Yeah, through. We have to scroll through her fucking Instagram. <laughs> that's, you'll, yes. you'll, know, you'll you'll learn all about it. Clancy, Clancy is his name. <laughs> it comes up in my feed because uh, now I have the one bar and following another one. Then we have the Instagram account for this, and um, we follow her and vice versa on all of the accounts. And I've seen a lot of her dog. <laughs> yeah, he's, I'm, I'm crazy about dogs. Yeah. He's awesome yeah. for sure. All right, well, Doogie, thanks so much. This has been super fun. We really appreciate you doing this, and yeah, let's uh, let's make this uh, sugar run visit happen. And yeah. uh, best of luck getting back to work in the soon to be post-pandemic world hopefully um everybody get your vaccination so we can all get back to work oh fuck yeah <laughs> it's coming. i've got mine uh this week friday my second one. Oh, oh nice so nice i can feel it's coming back yeah. yeah awesome well thanks so much this was super fun thank you so much guys and uh yeah if anyone has any questions for me my instagram is juki.to and uh looking forward to uh coming visit you guys Perfect. awesome <laughs>